Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. This week on our panel, we have Austin Gill. Hey, hey, hey. Lindsay Wardell. Hello from Portland. Dean, you know what, Dan, Dean? I never did ask you how to say your last name. Should I Fensky. try it or do you want to just tell me? Oh, it's Vansky. Vansky. I would have guessed that. And Dean, you're a new panelist. Do you want to just tell people who you are, where you're from, where you work, why you're famous, your favorite flavor of ice cream, all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm Dean Vansky. I was actually born in South Africa, but I currently live in Christchurch, New Zealand, which is where my wife is from. I've been to many places. <laughs> I moved to Australia when I was 18. Worked in the U.S. for a stint and hopefully settled now. Got uh, three beautiful girls that are all growing up and life is getting very interesting. I've been a software developer for about 22 years now and um, just really love JavaScript and the whole ecosystem. I actually started as a system admin, so I know backend pretty well. I consider myself a full stack dev. Yeah, it's a little bit about myself, not really famous for anything. <laughs> and I'm nice. not allowed to eat ice cream now because I'm on keto. Oh, there you go. I actually bought a keto ice cream book. <laughs> no way. Yes. I will have to get some recipes. <laughs> some of the ingredients are a little tough to get get to, but yeah. Oh, great. Totally worth it. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I guess my announcement is just that when this comes out, uh, we should be pretty close to launching the audiobook of the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. So if you are looking for a job, looking for job mobility, I've had a few freelancers come to me and say that it's helped them find clients. So if you're kind of in any of those boats, you can get it on audiobook. It'll be available on Audible. So anyway, we have a special guest this week, and that's Dan Purcell. Dan, do you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Hey, glad to be here. This is an honor. Thank you. Yeah, I've actually used one of Dan's apps. We're going to be talking about Cordova with Vue. And just to give a little bit of background, so Dan and I are both part of a mastermind group that's kind of focused around uh, Christian principles. We're, we're not in the same group, but we're in the same organization that that runs the groups. Yeah, we met virtually several months ago and then met up in person in October. We were talking about this stuff and I'm like, he mentioned that he was using Cordova with Vue and it got me thinking and I was like, wait, so like Ionic? And he was like, no, just Cordova with Vue. And I'm like, that sounds interesting. Let's get you on the show. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the app that I've used, my wife and I, every February, go down to St. George, which is Dan lives down in that area in southern Utah, and we do the Parade of Homes. And Dan and his company are the company behind that app. So whenever we got lost trying to navigate to a house, that was his fault. And uh, <laughs> when we were planning things out and we got to where we were supposed to go, that was also his fault. So um, so anyway, I, I don't know exactly where we start with this, Maybe we should just start with Cordova since that's probably the technology that our listeners are less familiar with. Okay, sure. Cordova is, uh, it's been around for about 10 years. It's a fairly mature app development platform. It uses HTML, JavaScript, and CSS to kind of create your app. And then it provides uh, scaffolding and everything to help you build those apps into various platforms like Android, iOS, and so on. Since its beginnings, it's evolved quite a bit. Uh, Cordova has become an official Apache Foundation project. So it's really backed by um, a lot of companies. So it's not going to go away anytime soon. And Cordova has a wonderful ecosystem of plugins that allow you to, from JavaScript, tie into native bits of the iOS or Android system or whatever platform you're going to port it to. 
So it's, it's got a lot of plugins, so it can give your app like a, a, a lot of native components. So it's kind of, uh, some people say it's cheating because what Cordova essentially is doing is it's an app that's basically a wrapper for a, a web view, so a web browser view, and you're building your app using web, HTML and CSS, laying it out on the screen. And uh, it's, but you provide uh, hooks and things to interact with native components of the, of the platform. Yeah, this reminds me a little bit of Electron. I've been playing with Electron lately, where you, know, you have a web view that acts as a native app. In this case, it's a desktop app. And yeah, then you manipulate everything else inside of it with JavaScript. And so you can build it with Vue or Angular or React or what have you, right? And then you just right. connect to native stuff through some APIs that they set up. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a lot like that. So a, a good Cordova developer will design an app that looks native and it's got to be quick and responsive like a native app would. So that's kind of the, the essence with the, how, how Cordova apps are kind of put together. The most famous Cordova project are, is called Ionic and Ionic has evolved a lot. It's built on top of the Cordova platform, but Ionic uses AngularJS for its... Um, front-end JavaScript framework. At my company, we really like Vue. We don't like Angular that much. Nothing against Angular folks. It's just that we really like Vue. So we've been building our apps using Vue with the Cordova under the hood instead of Angular like one would if they were doing a Ionic app. Yeah, Ionic actually announced a few months ago that they incorporate Vue now, so you can do Vue apps on Ionic. That's great. Yeah. Is that good. out of beta? I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. I believe we might have to get beta. Mike back on and ask him. Yeah, I believe it's still in beta. Um, I tried it out recently and, and had mild success because I also use Vue with Cordova and really enjoy the, the, the workflow. And interestingly enough, Chuck, Electron is now a target for Cordova. So you can actually build Mac, oh, nice. Mac OS, Windows, and Linux apps with Cordova. Cool. So let's say that then that I want to start building a mobile app with Vue and I'm thinking, okay, Cordova, you know, forget Ionic. The other one that I've seen is uh, NativeScript, which is more native UI front end. And then it uses a JavaScript bridge to execute JavaScript on the back end for business logic and things like that. And to make all the API calls back to your back end, which is a completely different conversation. So if I want to get started with this, you know, I'm like, okay, Cordova, Vue, this is totally the way to go. How do I start pulling this together? The first step would be to install Cordova. And you could probably find a gazillion tutorials on how to do that. NPM install Cordova, and uh, you're off to the races there. And it sets up a few directory structures. Um, the most important one for this conversation today is it creates a www directory. And that's where you're going to put your index.html file. I use Webpack as my uh, builder of choice. So I have everything built inside into that www directory for Cordova. So I have the index.html. It loads in my view app that Webpack created for me. And then, then you run another command using the Cordova CLI to generate and create your Android or iPhone application. So with, with the www directory and the 
Webpack configuration that you're doing, are you working outside of the bounds of something like the Vue CLI? Do you have those running next to each other? Are you taking the output of the Vue CLI and dropping it into the www folder, or how's, how's that kind of all working? Um, I haven't used the new Vue CLI as much. I, I know you can like do like uh, Vue CLI has a build function, and I think it might be using Webpack under the hood by default. I I'm not too familiar with exactly how that's done. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. So it's it's similar to that. I just I just do webpack build and it Okay, so you Yeah, it creates all my I by default, I, I think it's dist.js. It creates a, a bunch of a build.js files in a dist folder and that is copied into my www directory. And my index okay, so you're, references that. And you're managing your own kind of webpack config file then? Yes. Okay. Is that how you see like, uh, or I don't know if you're, you're seeing other people working in Vue and Cordova. Is that like kind of the standard approach or just something that uh, you guys decided to do? It's something I decided to do. It helps me with development when I, when I set up my own Webpack configuration. Because, you know, everybody loves configuring Webpack. It's like... Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> I have a few custom plugins that I put into my Webpack configuration. I adjust the way it builds based on environment variables. Like when I'm developing locally, I want to use a different server API than compared to building for production, to have a production mm-hmm. server API. And I control that through an environment variable as I build. So it makes it gives me that flexibility by being able to configure my own webpack. But the concept would work if you're using Vue CLI as build. Yeah, and I, I can okay. jump in there. And I have experience using the Vue CLI with uh, Cordova. There's actually a Vue CLI plugin. I had it open before. I think it's I think it's just Vue CLI Cordova plugin. And yeah, Vue CLI plugin Cordova. I'm, that's it. I was and, last night too. Yeah, and, and that that certainly helped. I haven't I haven't updated or used the latest version. There were a few weird things with the first version, but I'm sure as with all projects, it's matured quite a bit. But even if you're just using straight Vue CLI, you can just change your destination folder to the www folder for Cordova. Okay, yeah, I think that makes the onboarding for a lot of developers a lot easier because I know, like, yeah, I've, you know, made my own Webpack config files a few times, and it's just like, if I can just hand that off to someone else to take care of it and make it work, and in this case, Vue CLI is that candidate, it's like, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, given that the Star Wars movie is coming out this week, I have to make the reference, right? You've built your own Webpack config. Your training is now complete. You will come over to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I really dig, you know, any automation. So the Vue CLI plugin looks awesome. It was pretty nice to play with last night. I just ran the Vue add, the plugin name. It created the www folder, put everything in there when I ran the, the command. The only uh, really interesting part was it added a bunch of extra scripts for Cordova build Android, Cordova build browser. That isn't too hard to figure out. So yeah, so I'm I'm sitting here thinking about this and I'm like, okay, so then... If I want it to look like a mobile app, because it sounds like for the most part, it's just like building any other web view app, right? The difference is, is that it's all going to run on the phone. How do I make it look like a native app? There's a few things that can be done. The first step is just a, a good style sheet, a good design. Try to model and mirror native UI widgets best you can. Or don't, like, like be different. And don't make it look like native UI to make it exciting. But whatever you do, 
don't make it look like default HTML with, you know, silver colored buttons for uh, form submission buttons or ugly form input text boxes. Make, make, it, make it look nice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one of the um, suggestions I'd have for people is to pick up a front-end framework that they enjoy. I really lean towards Beautify. It just makes things really easy, and Beautify has phenomenal mobile support. So it, it does end up looking pretty pretty close to native, at least if you're an Android user because modeled after Material Design. But um, hopefully with Ionic taking on Vue, that's obviously another good option. For those of us who use things like Tailwind, is there any good um, guidelines that you would provide to make it look like a mobile app? Since I'm used to just developing for a browser. Yeah, I, I think what I'm thinking is more along the lines of like, is there a template, right? Or a CSS template? And yeah, if you could pull it in through Tailwind or something like that, that would be nice. Yep, we've used various CSS frameworks before, even Bootstrap before. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, then it looks very bootstrappy, but... Um, but yeah, that works. works for me. Another thing you can do to make it look and feel more native, instead of like a dialog box, like an alert box or a confirm box, you can use native plugins that, that Cordova provides to use a native widget for, for a notification on the screen. So it's using the Android or iOS or whatever platform's native component to display that message on the screen right. for those boxes. There's hundreds of plugins that help tackle many things that let you utilize the native components of the platforms inside your Cordova app using a JavaScript interface. In-app purchases, uh, sharing, like share widgets, notifications, like the way you handle and process push notifications, for example. There's plugins for many of those things. So I have a question as we, as we talk about these, um, like, native components and things and my understanding of something you know is coming i might be having a a naive question here but my understanding is coming more influenced by something like electron that ships with what is it chrome under the hood so you still have you're kind of like shipping a full browser with the app and therefore you're you're programming against the actual browser api and what's available and so I'm wondering if that's available or if it's sort of the same thing with Cordova or if it's doing something a little bit different. And when you say you have these native features available, is it actually like, you know, if I build to Windows, it's going to build one of those Windows, you know, component uh, wrapping like Windows, 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 the application window, is that going to be native to the operating system or is that going to be kind of like a browser built like a div and then using some CSS to style it and it just looks like a native uh, operating system window. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So the first part of your question is when you ship a Cordova app, it doesn't, it's not like Electron where it ships a whole Chromium with it. Mm-hmm. It actually uses whatever platforms like Android would use the Android's default browser built in for that. And on iOS, it will use Safari under the hood built in for that. So there's been issues where everything looks fine during development and things look great in Chrome, but things are awful on the iPhone version because Safari doesn't support something or Safari handles the uh, like a little CSS thing very differently. So we've run into those cross-platform 
issues before using Cordova. When you use Cordova plugin to like display a window, it doesn't, it's not like a div that's styled to look like it. It's actually using, it's calling the native function of that platform to draw that window on the screen. So it's not like a fancy div style like it. it. It actually is calling the native function in the operating system to to draw that. Okay, that's really interesting. So it's somewhere kind of between like you're working inside of a browser because it's launching the browser that's native to the operating system to run your application. But then if you want to extend to reach into some of the the hardware features or the operating system features, you have you have that as well. Right. right. It's yep. It's like Cordova provides a like a bridge to those things. And when you write a custom Cordova plugin, let's say we're going to write a plugin, you create your JavaScript interface and you also explain how that function calls your native, if it's Objective-C or Swift on the iOS side or Java or Kotlin on the Android side. You you explain what functions it's going to call and, and how those parameters are passed to those native Swift or Java functions as you build out your native uh, Cordova plugin. In Electron, it has the main thread and then it has the interface. And so it, it sounds like there's somewhat of a similar concept. I'm wondering though, if it's as explicit in Cordova where you know you say, do all these things in the main thread or whether it's more just, a, here's what I want my interface to look like from the UI, and so this is what I want you to do when I have these UI events. Uh, gotcha. Mm, I don't know much about a main thread in Cordova other than it will load your index.html and whatever you do with that is what's displayed on the screen. Gotcha. So it sounds like it, it provides an API on the back end and you don't actually have that main thread kind of control that you do in Electron. Right, yep. You're right. It does provide that API. That's interesting. And when when you're kind of like reaching into or or you know, you know crossing the bridge between your application running in the sort of browser environment and reaching into the phone and you're you're calling these features that you're saying, you know, with Swift for iOS or Java or Kotlin for for Android, does that mean that you also like need to know Swift or Kotlin or something to to some degree? If you want to be coding your own uh plugins, yes. Yes, you uh, plugins. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Another benefit to developing this way is I will build my Android app in debug mode and connect my Android phone to my desktop computer, my development computer, just through a USB cable. I can go to Chrome Developer Tools, go to Remote Devices, and my Cordova app will show up there under remote devices. So I get a new window with the whole JavaScript console. You know, I can inspect elements and everything and develop. I can type in JavaScript to run the API to access native functions and they pop up on my screen, on my phone. So it makes development and troubleshooting really effective. I I have the whole JavaScript console there and I can see what's going on under the hood during development. Yeah, that sounds pretty handy. I kind of want to change tactics a little bit because, you know, and we were talking a second ago about some of these APIs, for lack of a better way of putting it. Let's say that I want to access the camera or 
the Bluetooth or the GPS or some other onboard system, most of that's done through native code. And so you're, you're throwing stuff over the fence through a JavaScript bridge to, to get a lot of that stuff done. I'm, I'm curious, how do you access that stuff? Because the, the browser does it differently from the way that a regular app would. Oh, sure. So let's say you want to, like one of my apps, we, the user can like, take a picture of themselves and set it as their profile picture when they mm-hmm. set up their account. So how we make that work is we call the Cordova API function through a plugin that will launch the cam- the native camera app. The callback function for launching the camera includes the image file. So I get an image file back from the API back into my application after the camera function has done its thing. So it uses a series of callbacks on API so I get, get whatever information I needed, in this case, like the camera. After they take the picture, I get back the picture or the path to the picture file in a callback. And do you need a plugin for that or does it just work out of the box on Cordova? You need a plugin for that. That comes out of the box. Well, I'm curious, uh, with, with, especially with the camera one, because a lot of people complain that, that Cordova doesn't give you quite the control you want over native, but... Even when you're working in native, there's certain like gotchas that come across, especially when working with cameras. One of the biggest culprits is image rotation, having to read X of headers and then like rotate the image in code to, especially with iPhone, I've seen it before. How does Cordova's plugin, like camera plugin help with that? Do you, do you know if it does some stuff under the hood to make that a little bit easier? It doesn't. And I wish it did because we've had to implement it all in JavaScript and also server side for our application, for image rotation. But then again, that's kind of Cordova's design. They just give you the raw info, and then it's up to you to do whatever you want to do with it. Like, we'll, you know, use the exif data, rotate, and then we want to crop it, and we want to resize it. So we're not uploading, like, 13 megapixel pictures of people's noses online, and and so on and so on. So So we do... We do all that logic in JavaScript and sometimes also on the server side, on the back oh, end. That makes sense, yeah. So one other thing that I'm wondering about is that, uh, and I've seen this with React Native and some of the other systems that I've played with, you have to maintain sort of the Cordova plugins or the React Native plugins or the whatever other system you're using plugins. But then they connect to something like CocoaPods. And so what you wind up doing is you have a list of the plugins and you have a list of the native libraries you need to to run it and you have to have both installed or it's not going to work. Do you run into yes. that with Cordova? Yes, you do. Yep. Unfortunately, yes. So you're maintaining uh, a pod file and an NPM. Right. Thankfully, a lot of the Cordova plugins have some scripts that can run like hooks at different stages of the build cycle or install cycle or setup or preparing the app for build. And so it can maintain a lot of that for you. We did a application using the the native Google Maps SDK. And that had its own pod file to maintain. But thankfully, the plugin we used took care of a lot of that for us. We had to do the initial, I think it's pod init or pod setup. Yep. Once that was done, the plugin took care of the rest. Uh, so, so that was handy dandy for us. Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of React Native, 
I was wondering if there was a performance hit considering you're running the browser itself to do your application instead of something like what React Native or Xamarin would do to render the application on a phone. Is there any, any kind of hit for that using Cordova? Yep, I'm sure there is. But I guess the argument is there's a little performance hit. Is it noticeable and does it matter? And web browsers and JavaScript, and especially when you use a good front, front-end framework like Vue, they're pretty fast anyway, so the phone's hardwares are getting faster and better. Is it really, does it really matter? So we kind of take that approach. And another approach for us is we take the whole thing. For us, where our background is web development, and we have some good front-end and full-stack developers on our team. It's just from a business standpoint, Cordova is just convenient. Debugging is fast, development is fast, and we don't have to worry too much about. Um, so, so, so if a, if an app we're developing is would be very performance sensitive, I I wouldn't recommend Cordova probably for that application. But for about eighty percent of or ninety percent of the business that we do as a as a firm, noticeable performance isn't isn't a big factor. So that's what we do. Another benefit, too, to using Vue with Cordova is you can build your whole application for web and then as, you know, as a, as a web app and then build for native also. Oh, sorry, build for mobile apps using pretty much the same initial code base. We've done that on a few occasions where we have a pretty robust web application. One client comes to mind, they're called RentDuck, lets you rent anything. The whole web app is built in Vue, and then we have um, additional version of it that we build for Cordova that pretty much uses most of the same UI components and use the same Vue components as the web version. So it makes development very economical and, and fast. And then all you need to do is wire in the, the Cordova APIs themselves just at a higher right. level and put them into the, in, so that it feeds down into the components, right? Right. Yep. Well, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest attractions to me is uh, these days for the last few years at least, pretty much any website I've developed has had to be responsive and w- look great on a phone in the browser. And when you're focusing on that anyway, this is a really good way to to get that mobile app out. Uh, one of my clients recently called me up in a bit of a panic because he's like, I want a mobile app. Are we, what we're doing, get a box us in and make it not possible. And no, we're, because we're building a responsive website, I feel pretty confident that I can tell him, don't worry about it, we'll get to a mobile app when you're ready, which is great. It's nice to be able to give a client that confidence. And you can start with the same initial code base as you did with web app, and then you just add in your native plugins uh, your Cordova plugins that give you access to like the camera or GPS, or, you know, you want to use the native Google Maps SDK instead of relying on the JavaScript SDK inside of your Cordova app. You can switch that out. Notifications, you can use native widgets for that instead of something done in HTML and CSS. So it's, it's a good way to I don't want to use progressive web app, but it's a way to progress your web apps into a mobile app using Crypto. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the apps that I build, I mean, I've, I've been playing with building like the single page apps. And so, you know, 
basically JavaScript renders the the HTML. And so I can see that translating neatly. But for another app that's either statically generated like devchat.tv is, or if I'm building an app mostly with Rails and then I'm just kind of enhancing it with Vue instead of running the whole interface through Vue, then I have to do more work to convert that over so that it can just be run from the app without having to hit my back end to get HTML, right? Correct, correct. So in that example with RentDuck, the whole uh, web front end is done in Vue. So my question was, because could you mention push notifications? So does Cordova integrate nicely with third-party? Because I'm sure you have to use a third-party push notification service. So how does that work? Oh, great. There's many out there that do push notifications. The one that we use is uh, Firebase through Google. It's free and it works really well. So we use the Cordova Firebase plugin and it uses Google's Firebase SDK under the hood for both Android and iPhone. We just set up Firebase and just get that ready, add the right configuration file to our Cordova setup. And then that Cordova Firebase plugin gives us the JavaScript API hooks that we need to respond to push notifications. And it just calls the JavaScript functions that we specify. Okay, great. That sounds pretty easy. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So one other thing, I've thought about cheating a couple of times to build a devchat.tv app that just loads the devchat.tv website. So it actually would go hit the website and just load it up. And then just uh-huh. use it so that I can get the push notifications onto the phone. Uh-huh. Can you do that? Is that a terrible idea? You could do that. I hope you pass the Apple app review process. You've, you've Fair heard enough. of lots of stories about what, what that's like. So, yep. If you can pass review, that would definitely be definitely doable for that push notification reason. Yeah, because I'm just thinking that it's a good way to communicate with my audience, but... Yeah, it probably wouldn't be the best mobile experience ever. So, uh huh. Right. Yeah. And some people might prefer that over like an email list. Yep. Fair enough. So, what kinds of things have you built with Vue on Cordova? I mean, you mentioned Rent Duck. I've used the Parade of Homes app, right? Driving all over mm-hmm. St. George, Utah. But yeah, what are the capabilities here? Like, are, you know, I, I'm kind of looking for these are the kinds of features we were able to put into it. And then we can talk a little bit about these are the kinds of things that we wanted to put into it that we couldn't. Okay, gotcha. Um, it lends itself well for a lot of businessy type apps, a lot of just input and output. A good example of one of those is Easy Mobile Lube. They're a mobile oil change company. They'll come out to your house or your, or your work to change your car's oil while you're there. So you don't have to drive your car you know, on your lunch break to go get its oil changed. And how that app works, you load it up and you can create your account or log in and it remembers all your preferences from your previous visits, all your cars, your payment methods and so on. And it pulls up a calendar and you can schedule your oil change right there inside the app. And it connects to a backend that we also developed that maintains like their appointment list and, and uh, their, the technician schedules. So, and you can just pay right there on the app. So that's, that's, that's like lends itself well for something like that. It's all kind of business logic, all kind of done inside of that mobile app. And it's a good mobile app experience because 
you just hit the icon on your on your home screen of your phone. It launches and you're in and within a minute or two, you're done scheduling your oil change and they'll come out to your business tomorrow to, to take care of your car oil change. We built um, an, another app where we did run into some interesting limitations. A, a little more comprehensive app is we built an app for strengthening marriages called Get Your Marriage On. And this one incorporated a lot of video content and getting video to run in Cordova smoothly took was took a, bit, a lot of challenges, mostly on iOS. Sometimes the audio of the video wouldn't play, even though the video is playing, and sometimes it wouldn't play at all. And it took a lot of troubleshooting and uh, settings and configuration to kind of eventually figure that out. Thankfully, when people have issues, they post issues on GitHub issues pages. You can kind of follow threads and figure out Oh, that people are having the same problem as you, you can kind of follow their steps to kind of resolve those issues. So that's been good. One app that we've done that was also kind of a challenge, but I think we overcame it. There's a local artist here in our town that builds wind sculptures. He's like a, you know, the things that spin in the wind, they look kind of pretty with the way they spin. He sells these for thousands of dollars and wants to give uh, potential customers the opportunity to view what it would look like to have their wind sculpture in their front yard. So it's it's an AR app, essentially. It loads the camera in video mode, and you can place what wind sculpture you're interested in on the screen and resize it and whatever. And it what also made it challenging is his wind sculptures are animated. It's not like a still image. There's motion to it. So we had to figure out how to bring in a moving graphic on a video background and be able to save things and um, and whatever with that. But we were able to do it and pull it off with Cordova. So it kind of surprised us. There were, there's more to it than we could do if you get a little clever, a little creative. And it, it turned out pretty good. I'm, I'm curious to jump in and hear maybe other people have, are running into this issue or may run into this issue. Did you Did you figure out what was the issue with the video playback or was it just kind of like fiddling around with the settings? The specific issue for one of them was on older iPhones, they have the silence switch on the side. And if that is turned on, the video audio wouldn't play back when using the UI view Anyway, the way to overcome it was there's two approaches we took. The first approach was I found a Cordova plugin that will detect if the mute switch is turned on or not. And if it was turned on, we'd ask, tell the user, you know, turn off your mute switch to hear the audio. But that was kind of a poor user experience because they can go to like YouTube and still watch a video with their mute switch turned on and, you know, and hear the audio. So I didn't like that approach. So we uh, dug a little deeper. And turned out there's some info plist files that request certain types of permissions that I, I wasn't quite aware of that we were able to enable in, in for the app. I'm not a deep iOS developer. I'm more of the Cordova developer that works with iOS. So I think if I were to turn to a, you know, a very experienced iOS developer, they would have known exactly what I was, what I needed to do. But I, I found these, um, different in permission uh, plist files entries I needed to add to my Cordova app that made it so that video 
audio playback worked as expected. Interesting. So, um, unfortunately, I'm probably one of the very few web developers that work on a Windows machine. Um, I'm get, do you guys use Mac? Because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you can't build iOS from a Windows machine. I think that's something that you always need a Mac for. That's correct. To build on Mac, you need a Mac. So my desktop of choice is Linux. I'm a Linux nut, awesome. personally. So Linux as much as Linux can be. My car runs Linux. My phone runs Linux. <laughs> For a long time, I, oh, even my sprinkler system, my home irrigation system runs Linux. So anyway, even our home, our router in our office is a Raspberry Pi running Linux. So we, we use Linux as much as possible. And we have a Mac mini in the corner <laughs> for a building. <laughs> we need to go to a Mac. I like that idea. Apple sit in the corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we have a few Apple devices in the office for testing. But and that's one thing I've found. There's some parts of app development that you do need a native device to test with. For example, when you're working with payments, you can't use the simulators for simulating payments, like in-app purchase type stuff, subscription type stuff. So having a, you know, you'd have to have a real phone with a real Apple ID on it to test those on for Windows. Oh, sorry, uh, for Mac. Yeah, probably probably some good advice to always test your products. We actually recently had some, uh, we did something on our website and it was like, we'd, we'd never actually tested the payment gateway. And it was like, I had, we had left the Stripe test mode. Oh, credentials no. in, so, uh, yeah. so people our very first, where's my product? Yeah, our very first, like, <laughs> yeah, our very first paying customer was like, uh, or at least the first one that told us about it. It was like, um, Saying my credit card is not a test credit card. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. It's yeah, it's good to test. That's why and, you slap that beta tag on there, right? Yeah, right. exactly. So how do you test Cordova apps? I mean, beyond, you know, what we're talking about where you kind of tap your way through the app, you know, assuming you, you want to do some unit testing or end-to-end testing, what are you looking at there? Uh, there's a few good ways to do that. One, with your Android, you can just email or send people your APK file. That's the Android uh, package for, for the app. Your test users can install that. The Google Play Store also offers a beta channel or a testing channel. So you can upload your APK to Google Play and you can have like an open beta testing or closed beta testing. If you're open beta testing, people can like just join your beta testing program through the Google Play Store if it's closed testing, they need to be invited, and then they can join your, your testing. The iOS world has a test flight, and that's also a pretty good system. You invite people to test a pre-release version of your app through their test flight system. The iOS users install an app called Test Flight, and if their Apple ID matches up with the list of people you've invited inside of your App Store configuration, then they're granted access to the test version of your app. And it works really well. Yeah, one other thing that I'm curious about. So uh, Microsoft has, is it Code Push? Where you can actually push. push. So the idea is, is that if it's written in JavaScript, if it has JavaScript and HTML assets, Apple considers those to be static assets. 
like image, they same way they think of images and, you know, audio files and things like that. And so because of that, they allow you to dynamically update those without pushing a new version of your app. Oh, definitely. So we, we've done that a few times. Some of our apps are like the whole view app is loaded dynamically. We upload our, you know, out of Webpack, what it produces to, to, a, to a server that serves static files really fast. When the app loads, so our Cordova HTML basically says, load, you know, the view app from the server over there. And then it, it just executes it that way. So yeah, it has to download the JavaScript files when you launch it. Those ones are pretty small and pretty nimble. It makes app development go a lot faster. You can fix bugs quicker, add new features without going through the painful process of an app store submission for a new app. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, I knew that there was over-the-air updates for Cordova where you could actually like download a new version without them going to the app store, but I didn't realize you could actually load the whole view app from the web. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, it's it's a index.html page. So, yep, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Well, within bounds. So you are cheating. Yeah, in a way, I think. I'm really curious about this. So it did, to do that, do you just, I know there's the config.xml file in your Cordova folder. Do you just point to the web URL in that file then? In the config.xml? Yeah. Um, the way I do it is, it's my index.html. You know, my I have a script tag, script src oh, okay. where I'm loading it. I'm loading the actual script from my static file server. Wow. Instead of locally inside of the app. That's but, really cool. For example, one of my apps has a video. It's about four megabytes of video file. And it was important to me that it runs quickly. And if someone's on a mobile data connection out in the middle of nowhere using my app for that video to play, they're waiting for that to download. Uh, it could be really slow and a poor user experience. So I bundle that in with my app when I build it and submit it to the app store. So it's part of the, the package. And inside of Cordova, I just see if that file exists locally, then just just play that video file. If not, then download it off of our server to play to play back. So my question is then, does it cache those static files? So let's say that for whatever reason, I have to go into airplane mode, right? Because I'm on an airplane. You know, assuming that you want to be able to use it when you're offline, yeah, d- does it have a version of play if it can't get to the internet? Yep, it's, it's more programming. Specifically JavaScript files. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It is like a browser, so it will cache like a, you'd expect a browser to cache. We've done apps before where, like the, the Pareto Homes app you mentioned specifically, is designed to work offline by when you first load it up, it downloads a copy of the JavaScript files from the server. It checks timestamps first, like my last download date is this server, what's your latest download? So, so, so you know, right. it won't do a fetch if, if you're current. But if, if you're behind, it will download fresh and, and store locally. And then it will execute that JavaScript locally. So if you, if you are somewhere without a data connection and you launch the app again the next time, it'll just run what, whatever it had downloaded previously. So if on the initial launch, though, if it hasn't and can't connect to the internet, then it's just going to give you an error? 
Well, we ship with the last version of our build. Okay. That's what I was wondering about. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go play with this so bad. Anything else Uh that anyone else wants to bring up or? I had some, some questions. So yeah, in fact, I was kind of like feeling the same way as you. I mean, coming into this, I have heard about Cordova. I've heard about Electron, Quasar, Progressive Web Apps. Like there's a whole kind of spectrum of different ways to, to ship to native or something like that. And I'm curious, we talked a little bit about, you know, some of the, the cons to Cordova might be that, if, or which would apply for uh, Electron as well, is that if you're, you're kind of like running your app in a browser environment, it may not be as fast as like um, the native code running. But it also sounds like there's a lot of benefits, particularly, you know, it kind of made me start thinking about the WordPress ecosystem. And re- regardless how you feel about the WordPress ecosystem, one of the biggest benefits is the vast array of plugins out there. And it was like, you know, kind of every question we had is like, yeah, there's there's a plugin out there for it, you know, and that's right. That's to be expected of a, a mature ecosystem. So I'm wondering if uh, if you were to go back and like build an app from scratch, what are what are sort of the the selling points in your opinion for Cordova, or why do you choose Cordova versus some of these other technologies? Biggest selling point is my background is in web development, so using mm-hmm. web technologies the learning curve is not as steep for me. Another thing that I can benefit from is reusing components with the way I use with like view components or whatever from various apps. I can pull them all in so I can kind of get up to speed quickly. I can debug a lot faster because I can load things up in my, my console of my browser as I debug things and I can test things out by typing things right into the console using that, uh, the JavaScript API that comes with Cordova. And um, I think it's less expensive than going the, a straight native route if you want to build a cross-platform app using web technology. Okay. And if someone hears all of those benefits and says, okay, yeah, that sounds good. I'm in. Where, you know, do you have any resources for someone to get started or, or somewhere that kind of that you reached back to when you were picking it up? Definitely just do a Cordova tutorial. There's probably a hundred of them out there. Just pick a good one. I don't have a specific one I, I, I have prepared for today's show. Maybe later in the show notes, we can add something. It really is a matter of building your view app into the dub 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 folder of Cordova and then building and then boom, you've got it. Yeah, I was expecting it to be a lot harder than that. <laughs> Especially like, I think Dean, you're saying that you had uh, set up with the Vue CLI because that's what I use a lot. I think that's what a lot of Vue developers use. I don't want to mess around with my own Webpack config, but um, changing a couple little things in there, the Vue CLI allows for that. And there's a sounds like there's a plugin already for it. Yeah, yeah, that plugin. That's I think that's a great resource. Nice. Are there um, any gotchas that you had as you were starting to learn that you'd want somebody new learning this to avoid? Hmm. It would just be understanding that not only do you need to keep up with Cordova, you also need to keep up with Android and you need to keep up with iOS, assuming you're building for iOS and Android primarily. So there'd be times when I did something, everything would work great. A few months later, I make a change and I'm ready to build again and submit and things break, usually on the iOS side, but it's also happened on the Android side too. It's because you kind of need to keep up with those platforms too. So my advice would be just to set the expectation up front that 
just because you're using Cordova doesn't avoid pitfalls of other regular mobile app development too. You do have to keep things current and updated and kind of move along with, with the versions in order to keep your app current and developing well. Awesome. Thank you. I think it's a great way to build mobile apps. This is this is a fantastic way to get something out there. I don't think you'd ever build like Angry Birds or some you know really in-depth app out of it, but it will. It's definitely great for a lot of businessy type apps that you'll be out building. Now I want to go learn SVG and just accept that challenge. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just about to Google how to do Cordova with Phaser. Yeah, <laughs> you can do it. I was going to say, I mean, if it's just web tech, as long as your phone is capable of, you know, drawing and redrawing the screen with enough frame rate, you should be good. Uh-huh. <laughs> there are some JavaScript um, OpenGL libraries. I haven't tested that out <laughs> in Cordova yet. But like, you probably build like yeah. a 2048 app pretty easily using Cordova and JavaScript or Minefield. Yep. Yeah, we can start getting into WebAssembly too, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Does Safari support WebAssembly? I think Probably it does. Some. Yeah? I don't know if mobile Safari does, but I'm pretty sure the desktop Safari does yeah. to some degree. Mobile Safari, yeah. All right. Well, it feels like we're winding down. Anything else before picks? If people want to uh, find you online, like Twitter, GitHub, hire your company to write them an app, anything like that, where, where do they go? The best place to probably velocitywebworks.com. All right. And you don't have a stream of consciousness on Twitter or anything? You know what? I don't. <laughs> All right. I do have a Twitter ha- handle, but I, I use it so rarely, I don't even remember what it is. Right. You have to pick and choose your social networks, and that's, that's not one I'm on. Yeah. Yeah, I also just want to give you a chance to plug some of the other stuff you've got going on. I know you have a marriage conference that you've been working on and some other things. Do you want to just tell people about those? Yeah, I have a lot going on. My wife and I kind of is another business venture. We we have a business where we do a marriage conference and we build apps for strengthening marriages. Where do they find the uh, marriage apps and uh, conference? Getyourmarriageon.com. All right. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine, and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Dean, you're new. I'm going to pick on you. You have some picks ready for us? I do, I do. Um, in a bit of a theme of the Christmas movies, uh, my family, we've, we've been watching Santa Claus movies, all three of them, every Christmas for like the past 10 years. And yeah, we, we love those movies. Just pretty good, clean family movie. A little bit of comedy rolled in there. Um, so we, we love that. The other pick I have is 
a author, not necessarily a book, uh, Raymond E. Feist. I read The Magician when I was in high school. I was about 14, and so it's a bit of a behemoth. It's a good 800 pages. And um, I decided I needed to read it again. I re- just read it recently and got so addicted to it, I ended up reading it in like one and a half weeks. I don't think I got much sleep, but it just reminded me what a good author he is. And yeah, uh, definitely if you if you haven't read him before and you want to have an author that's got a lot of books out there, uh, I think he's he's got over 15 books. I know that much. And um, it's a pretty good good saga. I think it's the Rift War saga is the first one. And The Magician is the first book in that saga. So if you're into, into reading, it's a very good read. Yeah, those are great books. I remember reading those in high school. So yeah, good stuff. Austin, do you have some picks for us? I do. I'm going to go with some, some VS Code plugins. I'm going to try and steer clear of the ones that are uh, recommended everywhere else. So I'm just going to get through a few of these. But absolutely the number one VS Code plugin that I love, and this one a lot of people do use, is Settings Sync. Because I jump between my work computer and my home computer. And sometimes I change how I want my, I don't know, ESLint configuration to work. And Settings Sync just like syncs to GitHub Gist that's private and syncs to my computer whenever I boot up or change things in my settings. I love that one. And then there's one called web accessibility. It only has two stars, but it's fantastic. It deserves more. Or sorry, it only has two ratings for five stars, but it deserves more um, because it's just like, I think accessibility is important. And rather than waiting for a linter, linting rules or running some tests on my app while it's in the browser, it's nice to just have little reminders as I'm writing code, like how to make things a little bit more accessible. The last two are just some fun ones. There's one called Pola Code, which you can highlight some snippet of code that you're working on, and it'll take like a, it'll make like a little image out of it, like a nice little screenshot image, so you can share that somewhere online. And Emoji Sense. I don't know how many people use have seen like Wes Boss courses, but he drops emojis in everywhere, and I was always wondering how he does that. He's got some app, some Mac app that he uses that you can just like search for an emoji and drop it in and. I don't know. When I'm feeling fun, I like to do that. And Emoji Sense is, is like built into VS Code. So that's nice. And I'll share those links. Awesome. It's hiding everybody from me. Lindsay, what are your picks? I have two today. First, I've been rebuilding my blog using Gridsum. And one of the things that I implement is a website called Zapier or Zapier. I'm not sure how to say it out loud. But it's kind of like if this, then that. So what I have it do is... Once a week, it rebuilds my static site to make sure that all of the content is current from all of my outside sources. Uh, One of the sources I use is my GitHub repos, and I'm just listing my current projects. So I want it to pull in just once a week to make sure it's up to date with what I've been working on. And then also whenever I make a post, it pushes out a MailChimp campaign, pushes out a tweet, and a Facebook post. So I've been using that, and I'm enjoying it for my blog. The second is following the series of books idea. My daughter has been listening to some books. She's only four, but she really enjoys hearing stories, no matter what. And she's been listening to The Terrible Two. I think there's four books. It's following a a couple of kids who are pranksters as they go through uh, life pranking their principal and his family. It's kind of fun to listen to. Awesome. I should just stay, stay on the same track. Lately, I've been listening to a book called Running... No, it's not Running with the Demon. It's Angel Fire East, which is like the third or fourth book in Terry Brooks' fantasy series, The Word in the Void. 
but he's got a bunch of other great ones too. He's got a bunch of books based in, uh, I, th- I think the first one that he wrote was sort of Shannara. MTV actually made a really, really terrible series that doesn't follow the books closely enough for my taste based on the second book in, in the original trilogy. But yeah, he's got uh, Magical Kingdom for sale. I mean, just, just great stuff. So I'm going to pick Terry Brooks, but Raymond Feist is a solid pick. I'm also going to just let folks know that this is going to come out pretty close to the time when the audiobook comes out for the book that I wrote. And so if you want to pick that up, go check it out. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Also keep an eye out. I'm going to be putting up a Kickstarter early next year. People are giving me all kinds of rave reviews about the idea. So now I just have to go execute. But yeah, so keep an eye out for that as well. Probably the best way to do that is go to devchat.tv and get on our mailing list. And then we can let you know when it's up. Dan, what are your picks? Well, going on with the book theme, I really like this author, Brandon Mull. I've read pretty much everything he's written. Fable Haven series is a good one. Beyonders is another good series. It's kind of like young teen genre, mm-hmm. which is like perfect for my level of maturity. It's like it's, it's, it works really well for me. Around Christmas season, there's the classics. Um, definitely, it's a wonderful life. Although it's I think it'll apply to any time of year to watch that movie. It's not just Christmassy specific. For me, what I've been getting into on the desktop side is I'm a heavy-duty Vim user and just uh, exploring the whole Vundle Vim plugin ecosystem. There's always fun and interesting things to uh, find there. Auto-completing tools, syntax highlighting tools, code folding tools, and I'm just finding a lot of wonderful things there. So if you're if you if you like VS Code and Vim, there's also the Vim plugin for VS Code, which gives you almost all the functions to use Vim mode in VS Code. So that's that's my pick. Nice. Yeah, I pollute my uh, VS Code with the Emacs bindings. So. Oh, you're one, one, of, one of us people, is wrong. Huh? One of us is wrong. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was going to say Vim versus Emacs code. <laughs> all right. The conversation well, was going so nicely. Yeah, say that again, Austin. I was just saying the conversation we were we were getting on so well. I know, right? Well, I have to poke Dan when I can. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Dan, for coming and talking through this with us. I think it's a really interesting opportunity for people to see how far they can get with stuff that they've already written and and get it on a web or sorry on a mobile device. Yep, great. All right, folks, max out. Yeah. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.